In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. One of the few. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. All right. And we'll go live right here. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope you guys are having a beautiful day. It's Monday. We're going to start this incredible week off. We have an incredible guest for you today, Ryan Clark. He's coming to us from his own retreat center up here. But it's not just a retreat center, it's more of a dream. Let me give you a quick introduction. He's a man of many hats, a connoisseur of the colorful life, a loving father, a hospitality entrepreneur, psychedelic enthusiast, a producer, a content creator, currently the GM of Dreamers Creative Writing Farm with the background in advertising as well as the a cannabis, a cannabis legacy player. Ryan, how are you today, my friend? Living the dream, George. <laughs> you are living the dream. And I like this idea of the dream, the dreamers retreat. But before we get into what exactly you're doing, Ryan, I'd like to start off with origin stories. And I know you have a good one. So would you be so kind as to kind of take us back into the world a few years past to the world of Ryan Clark, how you got started, what you're doing, why you're a psychedelic enthusiast. And, and let's just start off with the origin story, my friend. Yes. Aloha, George. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, so my name is Ryan Clark. I am the general manager of Dreamers Creative Writing. I've had a pretty colorful life, and really it started back in fourth grade at Pineview Public School. I My first exposure to drug propaganda was something known as the Chicken Club, hmm. which was uh, a Canadian-type a Canadian D.A.R.E. program, if you were, will. Okay. Um, chicken was an acronym, which stands for clear... Um, Cool, honest, intelligent, clear-headed, keen, energetic, not interested in drugs. And I'll always remember that. I wish I still had the t-shirt, but yeah, I was a chicken club member and it really did not deter me from drugs. I mean, it really just made me more interested in, in psychedelics. And, you know, obviously, first and foremost, I want to say that I consider myself a responsible person and a 
responsible parents and you know all the the you know proper things that society expects but um yeah i've always been a little different and you know over the course of my life i um yeah i've done many different jobs many different hats occasionally a tinfoil hat but that's another story yeah. um yeah and then so i got my last two high school credits at a head shop in oakville ontario called the hidden jungle so it was a really uh, interesting co-op to have back in the day and you know my parents weren't thrilled about that but you know i stuck with it and decided to pursue advertising and communications at mohawk college and you know many of my assignments did revolve around cannabis and you know my my professors would would say things like you know broaden your horizons and they were right but you know cannabis is really you know cannabis and and music have been my my raison d'etre and you know i've always you know when uh, when i was going to mohawk college i was a uh, a clerk at a cool little head shop in hamilton called spiritual smoke and we were the recipient of two view magazine readers choice awards during my employment there so <laughs> and you know when i graduated i was um i was really at a crossroads and you know i i love weed i love the culture and i i Deep down in me, I knew that there was going to be a breakthrough. There was going to be change in in the laws regarding cannabis. And wow, was I ever right? So, I mean, we we were all right collectively. No man is a is an island. So, right. um, so yeah. After graduating in two thousand three, I participated in the summer of legalization tour. So it was really just touring around the cities with lots of prominent activists like Chris Goodwin, and we uh, we would go to Ottawa for the Fill the Hill rally and. You know, just uh, it was more than just a smoke out. It was uh, all about, you know, nonviolent, um, pa pa uh, passive resistance and, you know, and um, just general protesting. And Paul Martin was in office at the time and there was a great deal of changes happening with the cannabis law. So, um, you know, dis uh, dispensaries and cafes were popping up in Vancouver. So, you know, I took what I, what little um, investment money I had left and I just decided to go for it and open up a cannabis cafe slash lounge slash consumption space down the street at uh, King William. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a big deal. You know, it was incredibly nerve wracking. I, um, you know, all my friends and family thought I was crazy. Not all of them, but, you know, they were concerned, right? Like, this is a big deal. Don't want to jeopardize my future, my livelihood with a criminal record, but you know, I, I just had to take the risk. It really felt like my calling. And yeah, it was a huge success. We ended up with thousands of members uh, as part of the, um, so yeah, basically it, it functioned as a private members only club. So we had a very detailed um, liability waiver drafted up and, you know, we made sure that, you know, the, the guests and the uh, customers that came in knew that it was at their own risk and that this was um, more of an experiment, more of a social experiment. And and of course, we, re we reached out to the police, Chris Goodwin and I, to make sure that we had a good rapport with them and they knew that what we were doing. And so there was a um, very positive mutual understanding there that, uh, you know, it could go down any time. So, um, you know, I was I was only there for six months and I uh, just got cold feet and I bailed. I um, yeah, I just uh, I, I knew that the time was coming where, you know, it was going to get raided and, um, you know, bless Chris Goodwin for sticking it out and keeping that cafe open for gosh, I think a year and a half before it was eventually raided. And um, I've got great respect for any responsible adult that takes a risk in this industry yeah. and, you know, 
pushes the movement forward. Um, yeah, so uh, after Up and Smoke, I went back to my hometown in Milton, which is about 45 minutes outside of Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, got a more um, traditional office job, more, um, you know, uh, career-oriented job at a lighting wholesaler in Milton. And that was great, you know, paid my dues there as a, as a new green graphic designer, uh, you know, designing catalogs and stuff. I uh, worked for a newspaper called Business and Construction Times, and that was um, basically going out to job sites to interview contractors, uh, project managers, and the residential, industrial, and commercial uh, construction trades. And, you know, that was, next to Dreamers, that was probably my favorite job. You know, that's where I really got to, to flex my creativity and, you know, and have the freedom to kind of function as uh, like a freelancer. Um, yeah, flash forward a few years, I, um, well, you know, after Bigby Publishing, I was a, um, always resented the term stay-at-home dad. I, I prefer primary caregiver. <laughs> me, me and my family, we, we hustled hard to, to bring up our lovely twins, Charlie and Lucy. And they, um, yeah, so uh, at the time, uh, Trudeau was elected. And I mean, let's be honest, well, in my humble opinion, the cannabis legalization was the swing vote that got him elected here as the uh, federal prime minister. And, you know, when that happened, I just thought, wow, like, how about that? Um, it's not perfect. There, I, There's many, many holes in the system, still a lot of corruption that I see from, from my point of view, but it's progress. And uh, at that point, I, um, yeah, I got back into the cannabis industry, working for a couple of like vape wholesalers. And then, uh, got back into retail at the cannabis supply company, which is a chain. It was a chain of patients. Um, how do we phrase it? Uh, just a chain of clinics of, of medical cannabis clinics in Southern Ontario. We had nine locations and they have since transitioned into an AGCO licensed cannabis store. So they no longer provide medical cannabis prescriptions, but, but that was the foundation and, you know, learning, it was great to just kind of grow out of just being um, working in a head shop, being a bong store clerk or a water pipe technician, as I used to affectionately refer to myself to my more conservative family members. Um, and then, yeah, so we would uh, we would help people get a, a, an affordable prescription for cannabis and um, they would come in for consultation. We use the telemedicine, which is a uh, like an online um, uh, doctor's appointment that they would speak to our nurse practitioners and they would get advice about, you know, what strains are ideal for them, you know, different methods of consumption. And yeah, and I really love that job. Um, yeah, so I went on to manage uh, three locations, um, the Guelph location, Hamilton and Burlington. And, you know, COVID happened. Mm, yeah. uh, just as we were on the verge of getting our coveted AGCO license to sell recreational cannabis. COVID happened and I was laid off. Um, and at the time I was dating my new bae, Kathleen McNichol. And I always knew, I always had a sense or a desire or a dream to own my own Airbnb one day or to retire with some kind of like, you know, hospitality business. And, you know, here Kat comes along and she's already got started and she's you know uh on the dl marketing it as 420 friendly and she trusted me to come up here and be the general manager i mean she's got um, a corporate job that's you know basically 
bankrolling this place. I mean, we are profitable. We are growing. It's, it is a successful business, but we got a long way to go. And um, yeah, I just have to give her props for, you know, being such a, a high functioning user and, you know, yeah. and having this grand vision and being able to, um, to make it happen with all the various steps she had to take. I mean, I had a little bit of experience with it um, in opening up in Smoke Cafe in terms of, you know, what, what bylaws do we need? How can we kind of, you know, what can we get away with ethically and legally? And yeah, she had already, um, you know, got the, uh, the leasehold improvement for, to open up the, uh, the, the, the resort that we have here. Um, yeah, she made sure that she had all the proper permits and zoning and, you know, architectural drawings, like she had everything taken care of. And, and when I came on board, um, yeah, I, I sort of split my time between what, between doing website administration, most mostly in the winter time, and in the summertime, that's when the the tour season really picks up. So, George, you may hear some saws buzzing away in the back. <laughs> and, you know, we've got a great staff here that's uh, that's helping get the property all ready for our big rush for the the May two four weekend. And um, and then you came into my life, George. Yeah, you know well, I. I'm I'm thankful to even get to see a little bit of the dream happening. You know, if, if I just backtrack a minute, I think it's interesting to see how many people that are currently on the front lines of the psychedelic world that have come from a background in cannabis have, but not only cannabis, a background in dreaming a little bit. You know, it, I think it takes a certain type of person to envision what is possible. And when I look at your track record, I see the one of the first people to open up like the Up and Smoke Cafe or to, to start when it was a private club. Like that was such a forward thinking thing at the time. And it's I'm, I'm curious how you have how, how have you kind of used your lessons of that cafe, your lessons in the architecture of building websites and kind of brought them together to bring together like this this new creative space, because it seems it's more than more than like a traditional retreat, the idea of a writing retreat, the idea of a psychedelic retreat, the idea of bringing people together to solve problems out in the territory. It seems fascinating to me. So how, how have you guys blended this thing together? You and your lovely, lovely co-partner cat. How have you guys blended all this together? Yeah. Yeah. Just um, a lot of conceptualizing trial and error, uh, yeah, um, discouragement, motivation, ups and downs. I mean, it's a lot of work here. And yeah. I, I did grow up on a farm, so there's a lot of skills I had to rediscover here, especially on the uh, property maintenance side, which, you know, I do uh, refer to myself as a property beautification specialist too. And, you know, I'm really happy with the, the carpentry and, and maintenance work that we've done here. I mean, I'm all about beauty on a budget. My, uh, right. my mom, Susan, always used to use that expression. And, um, yeah, so as far as uh, our growth and our sort of business model, like she, um, Kat, Kat's pursuing her PhD in autoethnography. And basically, that's a fancy way of describing healing writing. So, you know, restoring th themselves, um, uh, using writing prompts to, you know, basically express yourself that uh, in words that may not be ever shared with anybody other than yourself. And you know, having participated and helped organize her writing retreats in her online courses, you know, I really, I really see how healing writing is, is so beneficial for people. And, 
um, as far as the writing retreats that we offer here, uh, usually they take place around um, the in-person ones take place around Thanksgiving here in Canada in October. And yeah, we have a great group of people. They come up here and participate in, you know, workshops once or twice a day. And then at the end of the weekend, uh, based on all the exercises that we've done, we just gather around the campfire and everybody just takes a turn reading what they wrote over the, the weekend. And then hopefully they go away refreshed and replenished. Um, that's on top of our, our real revenue stream comes from the Airbnb and uh, short-term booking platforms that we use, such as Airbnb, VRBO, Booking.com, TripAdvisor. Uh, have you ever heard of HiBnB, George? No, I haven't. Yeah, so um, this is another uh, booking platform similar to, uh, to Airbnb, but it's catered to the cannabis industry. Oh, wow. Yeah, so people... And, you know, all of our guests are pretty chill, even the non-users. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're, it, it's a great platform so that, you know, people can find more, you know, ca cannabis-related activities. And, you know, hopefully I'll still be able to, you know, retain my passion for that and grow the business to include, you know, things like my own workshops. Um, we've got an AC, I've got an um, ACMPR growing license here. So, you know, we have a nice, uh, a nice collection of plants in our garden that... Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of an attraction here for the guests. I mean, a lot of people come from other countries. They've never seen it grown before, and, it, and it's fascinating. And, you know, ultimately, George, we want to have a safe space here for everybody. And as far as, you know, people that use cannabis, I think drawing from my experience at the Up and Smoke Cafe, I think our edge here is that because we're a hospitality business and, you know, people spend the night here, uh, we don't have to worry about impaired driving or at yeah. least we can mitigate the impaired driving by, you know, making sure that people, you know, don't over consume or, you know, are responsible enough to know that, you know, what's considered appropriate or not. You know, one thing that I really love, Ryan, about this emerging world that we're moving into, it doesn't matter if you're in Europe, South America, North America. I think that the currency of the future is creativity. You know, with with yeah. all these new tools coming out, whether it's chat GPT or you know, there's, I watch, my daughter watches this YouTube channel of a kid named Ryan. That's probably a multimillionaire. And, oh yeah. That kid you know, is balling. He's balling. He's balling. But there's, it drives home the point. Like that is the currency of the future is creativity. And in some ways, I think what you're doing is revolutionizing not only the currency of the future, but the, the, the place to create in the future. Like there's finally this world where you can be inspired and whether it's cannabis or psychedelics or just a quiet place to think like, I think that's what you're providing for people. And I, it's really exciting to me because I, I've spoken to you a little bit about the possibilities of what can be, whether it's a, a, a troop of people coming to perform for a group of people, whether it's a ceremony, a rite of passage, a writer's retreat. And I'm wondering like, I know that you've had authors there. I know you've had people like Nick Murray come in. I know that you have different types of things happening. Maybe you can explain to me an event that happens at your place and, and the, some of the things that people are creating there, whether it's a magazine, whether it's writing things down, or maybe you can explain to me the ambiance of the place and then some of the transformations that you've seen at that place. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, all that stuff is pretty well documented on our Instagram, which is, uh, I think it's at Dreamers Writing or at Dreamers Creative Writing. But right. uh, we do these things called Dreamers Guest Moments where, yeah, you know, I'll, uh, 
uh, offer to take a picture of our of our guests, whether they're you know romantic couple or you know just a uh, you know people coming up here to do hikes and you know outdoor nature activities. But yeah, it's such a an eclectic mix of guests that we've had here, and you know sometimes we have painters come up here. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, you know stargazers like people bring up really powerful telescopes and you know doing some astronomy. Um, yeah, and you know beyond just the traditional camping activities, like I mean, we call this place a um, you know like a, a glamp site. Like we offer glamping, so you know it's it it, it you have to be you still have to be a little bit rugged, like to, to forego yeah. some of the creature comforts associated with you know traditional travel. But like for the most part, um, we have four uh, bunkies. Two of them are insulated for year-round comfort and bookings. Uh, we have two prospector tents, which are, are really durable and comfortable. Um, and we also have a studio apartment. So the average size of the bunkies is about uh, 100 square feet. And I'm, I'm actually in our Atwood bunkie right now, which has just been freshly renovated. And um, yeah, so really we're, we're up for almost any kind of activity that, I mean, you know, we don't want to market this place as a party space, you know, as much as I've you know, I love music festivals right. and, you know, a good sound system in, in DJing and performing. Um, I think the direction I want to take it, you know, in, in terms of pursuing my own interests in, in music and, and electronic music production, I'd really love to host a producer's retreat here. And I think that could be feasible by, you know, creating, um, uh, setting up like uh, like editing suites in each one of the bunkies or similar to cats workshops, you know, we'd have uh, up and coming producers and, you know, high, high profile producers, ideally to come up and, and uh, teach electronic music production through software like Ableton Live and Cubase. Uh, so that's sort of on the back burner with my friend, um, uh, my friend, Jim Spiro at musicbox.ca in Oakville. Mm-hmm. So I, I really hope that that comes to fruition one day. So um, yeah, that's one of many projects we'd love to do here. We'd love to offer goat yoga to our guests. Yeah which, you know, is kind of a, a strange thing, but, you know, why not? There's so many different different uh, um, uh, functions that could take place here. You know, corporate retreats, we've had a couple of, of guests that have come from licensed producers and, you know, retail cannabis chains. And, you know, I'd really like to also, you know, make that available for, for them to come with their company and, you know, do, do some team building here. Yeah, it's a great idea. I'm curious too, it- you have a magazine too, don't you? Like the Dreamers, Dreamers Publishing. Yeah, yeah, we sure do. And um, gosh, I should have brought a copy out, but yeah, Cat's um, Cat's the editor of uh, Dreamers Magazine. Okay, it's published three times a year, and it's distributed through Chapters, Coles, and Indigo amongst our our growing subscription base. Uh, we have digital and print copies available, and I actually have a promo code too that I could share with the uh, audience if that's okay. Are you kidding me? That's absolutely awesome. Yeah. Okay. Great. So if you um, uh, if you enter RC dash two zero two zero dash five in the checkout section, um, yeah, you'll get f- uh, a whopping five percent off. It's not nice. much, George, but you know, you jump, you shoot, you hope for the best. You know what? I'm stoked to get anything. I'll put it in the show notes down there too. Like, yeah. tell me, is there like let's say like what is in the content of that magazine? Are you talking about? things that happen up there or are you publishing content of writers that come up there for dream workshops or what is the relationship between the magazine and the place that you're at? Yeah. And you know, that's actually a great idea, George. It's in terms <laughs> that's all of I have. Like, yeah, you do. Yeah. You are. <laughs> just kidding. 
<laughs> a good idea. I, I had never thought about in, including content about the goings on here at Dreamers as, as like the hospitality side. I mean, we run ads about our own, you know, Airbnb writers retreat here in the magazine, but yeah, wouldn't it be great to actually profile some of our guests too, because yeah, they have, there's so many stories, like so many yeah. people come here and from all over the world. And, you know, I, I love networking and talking to people yeah. and, and, you know, I mean, occasionally we have some shit disturbers out here, but that's, that that's another story. Like that's just going to happen. But yeah, I would say the vast majority of our guests are, you know, polite and well-behaved. Um, the content of the magazine is based on writing submissions that we get from uh, our, our website, uh, dreamerswriting.com. So you can submit anything from an essay, nonfiction, fiction, short story, poems, haikus. Cat uh, holds contests three times a year that coincide with these magazines. And yeah, you know, for a reasonable fee, people can uh, pay to have their, their writing submitted to us. And then our editorial department, a.k.a. Cat's mom and dad, uh, uh, review the submissions and uh, pick out the best ones. And then... You know, uh, we we publish them online and in our magazine, and and that generally makes up the the content of our magazine. Uh, we also pay, you know, if it's uh, the the submissions we accept that don't necessarily make it into the magazine, we also pay them a twenty dollar honorarium for you know the opportunity to get published. And you know, many of these authors are are first time first time uh, writers that are just thrilled to you know have have a little bit more clout and you know can can still express themselves and you know not not be quite as much of a starving starving artist you know what like i know you and i had had a previous conversation i'm not sure if we brought up this po this point but i bet you everybody listening to this would agree or maybe they wouldn't agree and i'm curious to get your opinion what do you think the submissions would be like let's say if i came up to the dreamers retreat and on the very first day i wrote I don't know, like a poem, or I wrote a short story. And then on the third day, I wrote a poem or a short story. Which one of those poems and short stories do you think would be better the day, on day one or day three and why? That's a great question. I, I think they're probably refined over the, over the course of the weekend. I would say they, they probably improve. And, you know, yeah. when we take our breaks in between the workshops, you know, ideally the, um, the participants would go back and, and edit their stories so that they're, you know, maybe that much better. Maybe there's a moment of inspiration that was shared in our, in our collaborations during the workshops that they find, um, you know, is worth including. And, you know, I don't, and that's, yeah, I never even thought about including the, the submission, the, um, the work that our, our writing retreat guests, writing retreat guests, uh, do here. Most of our submissions come online based on whatever contest we're, we're uh, hosting. So I think the last one was a sense of place and home mm. instead of place and home and migration. So those are, these are ongoing submissions with rolling deadlines. I mean, you can submit whatever you want to dreamers, but we give priority to the people that enter the contests uh, based on certain topics, whether it's a haiku, we have an issue devoted to haikus and then another one to a uh, sense of place and home and then nonfiction one. So yeah, it can be anything. In fact, our, our latest issue, issue number 13 is, um, yeah, Kat finally, uh, finally cracked that, uh, chat GPT open and, um, wow. Like you don't want to talk about a rabbit hole. I would go in there, you know, and she's like, and she's like just such a, such a, a ninja in so many different ways, but like, you know, 
I would like greet how's chat chat GPT doing today. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's so interesting what, you know, what she's come up with and, you know, what I should say they've come up with and too, you know, like plagiarism and, you know, academic mm -hmm. honesty is another thing that she talks about in her, you know, her letter from the editor about, you know, what is the future of, of content uh, and information? I mean, heck, there's a writer strike going on in the States right now that, you know, is going to affect a lot of people's livelihood. And I'm, I'm so indifferent about, you know, even the supplemental artwork that we use um, to, to uh, you know, complement the, the, the writing that we publish is, you know, AI generated. We use something called Canva and like, mm. you know, I'm, my prompts aren't, my, my prompt flexing isn't great. Like I've got a lot to learn about, you know, improving the pr uh, production value of the, of the stuff of the, of the pictures that we include, but like, it's just so amazing how far it's come and, you know, what, where's the line between, you know, what is authentic and what is, you know, just computer generated fluff. And, you know, hopefully we find a nice balance so that we're at least transparent about what, what our, our authors want and what, you know, our, our audience expects. You know, I've never heard it put that way, but I think it's brilliant to ask the question, what is authentic? Like, wow, like, is chat GPT authentic? I think, in my opinion, I would say that chat GPT is a poor attempt at authenticity. And I would say that because in my mind, it's just scraping together language or scraping stuff together. I know people are going to be like, well, George, that's all people do in their brain. They just scrape stuff together. It's nuanced. It's nuanced. It is. And I think in the future, and this may be something that may go hand in hand with retreats or go hand in hand with any sort of writing workshop is this idea of being able to be a storyteller. Because a lot, all the books that I'm looking at, I have a lot of cool stories in here. But there's a difference between someone standing up and telling a story and someone reading a story. There's a difference between thinking about something witty to say and coming up with a prompt to get chat GPT to tell you something. I think it was uh, the brilliant storyteller Samuel Clemens who said that the written word is the carcass of the spoken word. And if you look back at great speakers of all time, there's something about them. We call it charisma. We call it the yeah. je ne sais quoi, but it's this spoken yeah. word that I think where authenticity resides. What do you think about the spoken word versus the written word and their relationship to chat GPT? Now, I don't want to get too hippy dippy on you. Here, yeah, please do. I love it. You know, um, do you know where charisma comes from? Uh, I have the heart and soul of the human being well you know and <laughs> i might be wrong i should ask chat gpt maybe <laughs> you should because i certainly don't <laughs> want to get my put my foot in my mouth on this particular topic but i think this will make my dad happy but okay. um, i think charisma comes from in christ mm, i'll go with that that sounds like the yeah i wish i had a producer that could look it all up but yeah and why yeah. do you think that is that something your dad told you or is that something you feel or what i i definitely think it i yeah i think that great communicators yeah do have charisma and i think that and you know to give a like you know uh 
little shout out to Joe Rogan if he's listening. Yeah, of course. I know he must be listening. He must Are you kidding you, me? You you must be on his radar, George. <laughs> yeah, he talks a lot about like I love I love Joe. He's um I know that he's controversial, but he um to me he's like the perfect blend of like a jock bro with a sensitive side. Like he's intelligent yeah. and he's, you know, kind of like a moderate centrist, which is what I kind of identify as. So, yeah, speaking of great, great prophetic uh, uh, speakers, Joe's right up there. But, yeah, he talks a lot about trauma. Um, not not too much, but, you know, he had Gabor Mate on recently. Sure. So that was a great, a great interview. Like, he can talk to anybody. But I think that he, when he talks about stand-up, that there is a, you know, the people that have the shittiest background or, you know, they tend to have the most trauma, end up making the best comics. Or, you know, maybe end up being more successful because they've had disappointment and and tragedy and who knows what, right. kind of, you know, crazy upbringing that, you know, um, propelled them into a certain direction that, you know, hopefully they're, you know, if, if they're able to overcome it and, you know, and find their calling and, you know, make a difference, whatever that really means, you know, at least, you know, have, to have a successful career doing what, what they love is... Uh, you know, it should be the goal for everybody and it's so hard to not just be complacent and you know and feel like you know what what what, what do we have to prioritize as parents and you know what what is uh considered a reasonable income and and what is a good standard of living to achieve and you know how do you find that balance by while still being true to thyself and and um and not uh maybe tangenting off like i am doing right now what do you think well <clears throat> I think that right now a lot of people are talking about trauma and I think that we are, you know, you could equate the world in which we live as, as the birth pangs of a new sort of consciousness being born. Yeah. Cool. And what I mean, yeah, like I, I see it everywhere and there is this idea, you know, when, when we, we throw around words like success all the time, but you know what we don't do? We don't ever go back and define that. My kid's in third grade and they don't ever talk about success. They don't ever have a course in semantics. They don't ever have a course in, in, you know, feelings. And I know to some people like, oh, we don't care about your feelings, George. Well, I care. I care about the feeling of success. I care about the feeling of integrity. And I think that these things should be woven through the structure of education. Because like, what is it, Ryan? Like, what, what is success? Is success getting up and going to a job every day for 14 hours and killing yourself, not seeing your family, coming home and having a glass of whiskey and white knuckle in it so you can do it again the next day? Yeah. Or is success maybe living in a little bit less? Is success maybe having a little bit more time with your family? Is success sitting down at the dinner table and having a discussion about integrity? Is success being able to kiss your wife and your kid goodnight every, every night? You know, I, I don't have the answers to this, but I can tell you that in my life, much like you have taken some risks, whether it was through the cannabis cafe, the up and smoke cafe, putting yourself on the line, putting yourself out there and having your family maybe at times being embarrassed or shocked at yeah. what you're doing. Like, I think that these are the world we live in and we need dreamers. We need people like you out there that are doing the best they can. We need people like me, like the people listening we need people on the front lines that are willing to take a risk and define success for themselves. Like we shouldn't let the world define success. That should be something that we talk about in our families. It should be something that we sit down and be like, what is it that you want? Because I, even though 
if we have less trauma, we may have less comedians. I think that we need to understand what we are doing. We need to have some shared goals and some shared sacrifice. And that may cut down on the trauma a little bit. So when you talk to me about trauma and the world and education and speaking, like these are the things that I think of. This is the foundation I think of. And I, I think that what you're doing by having people come to a dreamers retreat, I think that those are all conversations that can be had there, man. And I, I really think that if you publicized some of the conversations around the campfire at the dreamers campfire on day three, or if you ha even had like a, a if, if some people wanted to go on and do a testimonial, like a, you could do an internet series where, Hey, I'd like, I'd love to hear you guys say your thoughts on day one and then on day three. And you know what, if you do it for, if you do this thing with us on four days, I'll give you the fifth day free or something like that. But I think that would be incredibly insightful. And you could, you could have a series of like success talks. Hey, what a success. We do this on the first and third day of every retreat. If you guys want to participate, I'll kick 10% off. But I think that you could compile some data that would be very compelling television, very compelling writing. And it's something no one's doing, man. I think it would be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We got to hire you as a producer, man. <laughs> I'm in, man. I'll do it for free. I, yeah. I would love to. I, would, I think that that would be something that everybody would tune in for. And you know what the truth is, Ryan? I think that you would get to see real-time, mind-changing, profound ideas being built. Because, look, I've been in nature. I've gone up and had a psychedelic experience and come out of the forest, like, both physically and metaphorically. I've come from the fringes and been like, holy cow, yeah. I figured it out, man. Yeah. Maybe if it was just for a moment or two, but yeah. I got that moment of clarity. The same moment of clarity an alcoholic gets, you know, when they know they need to stop. That's the same clarity a psychonaut can get coming through a journey. And I, I think that that's what people like you are providing. They're providing a space where people can go and reconnect with nature, reconnect with themselves, man. Mm -hmm. I, I think the spoken word is, is something that everybody should begin to embellish. This stream of consciousness is almost like an altered state of consciousness, man. So if you wanted a rant, there you go. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> so profound, George. You know, speaking of spoken word, too, I'd just like to give a shout out to Tommy Buick, who is the founder of the Burlington Slam Project, which okay. um, and uh, Open Minds Respects event, which was basically a, a slam poetry collective that um, that we organized. I mean, Tommy's Tommy's got more roots in that department. I, I took care of more of the, the music programming. But yeah, he would do um, uh, spoken word events at the Black Bowl in the same kind of uh, uh you know, it's a competitive atmosphere. I mean, right. they do, you know, have prizes based on, you know, audience reaction and, and appreciation. So, um, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's so many, uh, language has so many different, different applications and, you know, words can hurt, they can heal. Yeah. And, you know, it is, uh, you know, poor carpenter blames his tools. If I can use another about oh, that's so funny. I have that, you know, when, when the arc, when the debate about, you know, PC versus Mac comes up, I, you know, I'm a pretty, you know, devout PC Android user. So, but I do like the expression of poor carpenter blames his tools. Are you PC or Mac, George? You know, I am, I like Mac. I'm working on a PC right now. I have a, I have an iPhone, but I have an HP computer. You know what I really liked about Mac was the way they came out in the beginning when they had, I don't know if people remember like that first commercial they had during the Super Bowl where like yeah. all these people in suits were just marching off a cliff. 
Yeah. And I, you know, but I'm torn when I think of Steve Jobs, I think of someone who's never wrote a line of code. And I, I, mm -hmm. I also see someone who was inspired by psychedelics. So it's, you know, I, I love his biography by William Isaacson. I think that the opening line is something along the lines of those who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world actually can. And I love that about him. I love his insights on there. I love that he was adopted. I, but he did seem like a giant asshole. He seemed like yeah. he was like, put all this stuff in my, put all this stuff in this box, do it now. Like yeah. he seemed like a total asshole. He was probably, yeah. he was a horrible dad from what I read. Yeah. He was a horrible lover. And you know what? That's kind of what we have in society. That guy's held on a pedestal. And if yeah. you look at a lot of CEOs from the boomer generation, they came from this idea of scare your employees, force them to work longer hours. You're a visionary. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a love. Hey, look, I love the guy. I love his vision, but he seemed like a giant asshole. So I guess that's why I'm, I have an iPhone and a HP computer. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the cell phone. I love to hate. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it, it, you know, in a lot of ways, it is Pandora's box. You know, I think that it is kind of draining society of its morality and its, mm. uh, you know, its culture. Why do you think that? Like, why do you think it's draining society um, of morality? Well, it's addictive, you know. It's addictive, yeah. like, you know, like con consumerism, materialism, hoarding. Like, it's all, it's all just trying to fill a hole in people's hearts that really can only be filled with, I don't know what it can be filled with, but it's you know there are things that you know that can be abused but you know also can be beneficial and you know yeah steve steve jobs did kind of conceive apple through at least in part through some acid trips so you know like if you look at you know a lot of the prominent figures in silicon valley i mean heck you know how many companies now are um are recommending microdosing to their employees and what is um you know what um what is germinating as a result of, you know, this, this amazing fungus that, you know, is expanding people's consciousness. I've seen, I see the tech in, you know, the, I think that the psychedelic industry is the new tech industry. Yeah. There's so many people that are making that change from, from you know, there's a corporate burnout. There's all these, I, I talked to so many amazing people, a lot of people from Microsoft actually that, are making the leap into this idea of, you know, the psychedelic world, and they're bringing their creative talent. They're bringing their ideas of what is possible, and I see that same spark of imagination, you know, that bite out of the apple, whether it's the tree of knowledge, or you know, we could talk about what that logo really is, but you know, I I see that that bite, that creativity, that spark. And it's making its way from Silicon Valley to the world of psychedelics. And I, you know, I, I welcome that. I think that that is what's needed. I think that the tech industry has gotten away from the visionary ideals of Steve Jobs. It's gotten away from the what can be. The world of Silicon Valley has departed from the world of imagination. And I see that psychedelics is bringing that back into the fold. And I think that once we begin to merge those things together, watch out. I think it's going to be unstoppable. And I really think that the, 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 I look at it like this. I, I see the psychedelic space as like a, as like a space shuttle and you needed Silicon Valley as a booster on one side and patents on the other side. And we have this patents and, and it's, it's lifted off 
And now these things are, all these isms are falling away like the boosters on a space shuttle and we're moving into orbit now. Mm. And now we finally, and that's why you see so much chaos. Like, oh, boomers, ideas dying. Oh, currencies dying. Like those are the boosters we needed to get into orbit. And now we're here and it's like, son of a gun. Now what do we do? Now we're in orbit, you know? And if, if you just think about the language we use, like getting high or being on a trip, like I think that they kind of add together in a way like that. Is that too out there? Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> yeah, no, that's perfect. That's a perfect analogy is that, you know, ex exploring outer space, but also exploring inner space and, you know, using these tools as, uh, as uh, yeah. uh, materials for introspection and, and, um, you know, conceptualizing different, different possibilities. And, you know, with AI too, like, you know, we talked a little bit about transhumanism before yeah. and the great convergence that, you know, was really fringe not long ago, but, you know, and I, I you know, I really foresee a time that there's going to be, um, I don't want to say robot uprising, but, you know, a AI is, is a real existential threat. And, I mean, how how do you think we could dose AI so that it doesn't destroy us? Wow. Okay, so I, I think that there's two camps here. I think on one camp, you have people that are worried about AI, like, taking over everything. And then you have another camp that's like, it's not even sentient. Like, it'll never be sentient. And I I, I try to understand both sides. Like, I, I, in my opinion, I think that there's a race between biology and technology. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I take a lot of mushrooms and I think that I can see myself evolving. If you are on, if you take mushrooms on a regimented dose for three years, you will become a different person. I think that it's, it's happening in real time. Like I think that the neuroplasticity that happens and high doses of, of psychedelic trips is rewiring the brain and it's doing it quickly. And you, you, all you need to do is like, look at the way in which it helps trauma survivors, whether it's PTSD, traumatic brain injury. There's a recent article in Spanner magazine that talks, I think it, Adam Tapp was talking about this, where an individual in his sixties was having dementia and they used a five MEO DMT spray that fundamentally changed that dementia from being terminal to having that person get their license back, playing guitar again. Wow. And I yeah, it's look, I don't have the evidence in front of me, but it's documented. And I think you're going to continue to see that. And if that's happening for people that have dementia, what does it mean for optimization? And so I think that like when you look at Elon Musk and you see like this brain chip interface, I think that's old hat. I, I do not think that's where it's going. I know yeah. you got Ray Kurzweil. I know you have Silicon Valley that have bet the farm on this, but I think that they are, you know, they are, it's like water in the mirage. Like that's what they're seeing. You're seeing water in the mirage. Like it's not there. It's not going to be there. You can drill holes in people's heads and put computers in there, but you're just a new version of Dr. Mangala. Take some mushrooms. It does a way better job at it. And it's going to change the way we do it. But there's that race. It's a race between biology and technology. And if I can paint a visual for people, picture a, a, a two-way mirror on a platform and it stands on one hand on one side is a giant statue made of trees pushing. And on the other side is a giant machine made of, of computer parts pushing on each other. And so I, I, I think that that is what, <clears throat> when I think about AI, 
I don't think it's a threat. I think the only threat the AI is, is trying to get into us. The only AI threat is a made up threat from tech companies trying to jam it down our throat because they, they need it to work. They need AI to take over. They need AI to take over the writers. They need AI to take over everything so that they can continue to generate profits at a level that is obscene. You know, I think that there's been contracts made. There's been companies that have sold AI to government systems, to, to Fortune 500 companies, and they bet the farm on it. Like This has to work. Otherwise, they all go bankrupt. You can see the banks failing. They bet the farm on technology that doesn't work. So I don't think AI is a threat. I think it can be a useful tool, but I think that there's a lot of money behind AI that wants it to be a threat. They want people to be scared of it. So I, I, I don't think that the robot apocalypse is coming. I think the psychedelic apocalypse is coming. And that's something that the people who have bet the farm on technology, old money should be really, really afraid of. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know what apocalypse means, right? Break it down for me, man. What do you? Th what is the definition of apocalypse? It's the lifting of the veil. Yeah, I love it, so man. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. You know, if we are entering into a, a new age of consciousness, and these are right. the global birth pains that you're describing, then yeah, sure, apocalypse is absolutely a, a great description. And you know, when I think of Musk's Neuralink, and you know, even the vaccine to a certain extent, yeah, is um, you know, it might be some mark of the beast shit. And <laughs> totally. Yeah. And like, and I think, yeah, you're right. Like there might not be a, a robot uprising per se, but when there is, you know, when the robotics, when those Boston dynamics robots, you know, Ooh. go on a date with, uh, with, with chat GPT and, you know, all the other AI platforms and they're going to produce some really ravenous pups. But it, if it, if it isn't an up, a robot uprising, then, you know, it might be some like black mirror style, cloud-based consciousness upload so mm. like you know maybe us or our you know are the next generation maybe even us i don't know but maybe we will be given the opportunity to upload our consciousness to the cloud so that we can essentially be immortal and if if and when you know the um the the biological you know robotic um technology is available to basically like recreate yourself i mean gosh you know people are having their their heads cryogenically frozen their bodies cryogenically frozen with the expectation that that they will be revived one day and you know who who is going to have these kinds of opportunities is it, and is it even ethical like you know what if we wake up what if what if you wake up in the matrix like what if you 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 know signed on for this stuff and then you're going to be you know and then you realize that you're kind of in you're in, in a world of servitude where you're you know, and, and you can't escape it. And I don't know, again, don't want to get too tinfoily fringe. I love it, man. I love it. I think we're, I think so we're there. About, you know, yeah, we're almost there. So let's look at here in Hawaii. Like we have those robot dogs and they use them like in homeless encampments. Have you seen them? Yeah, I've seen them. They have spot the robot dog and, you know, he doesn't have a gun on his back. But I mean, he's at, they had him like, like these homeless facilities, like, yeah. whoa, like you could see it happen. Okay. But, but here's the, here's the flip side of that. So if, if, which is a great poem by Rudyard Kipling. Yeah, Rupert Kipling. <laughs> so, but I won't talk about if, I, I will yeah. say that I've seen those robot dogs in a homeless encampment here in this state. Obviously those particular dogs are marketed 
to enforcement agencies, which means they can do the job. I'm sure that there's a, a cool video. They show law enforcement companies. Hey, this robot dog has been tested in Afghanistan. It can do these things. That's one way. And I've read the literature where if you read, you know, let, let's take it fictional and go ready player one or ready player two. And you could see all these homeless people, chat GPT, yeah. job. you need these dogs to round everybody up. That's one way of looking at it. Okay. And that's the mechanistic way of looking at it. And that gets back to my idea of chat GPT selling technology. Hey, you need this because it's a coming apocalypse. But let's look at the other side. Let's say we start giving Ibogaine to homeless people. Let's say we open up some centers yeah, yeah. where someone can give Ibogaine to all the people that live under the bridge because they have a mental illness. And all of a sudden, hey, within a week, a person loses their craving to do heroin. I'm not saying they're better. Yeah. I'm not saying they don't have issues that they, they need to work on. But I am saying a large portion of people that crave heroin can be taken off of heroin by using Ibogaine in a week, in one week. Like yeah. all of a sudden, you don't need that robot dog guarding all these people that are, you know, are they crackheads or are they people with mental trauma? Because it, it depends on how we're going to use the language to fix it. We want to use Ibogaine or you want to use a robot dog? Yeah. I think we should use Ibogaine. I mean, it comes from the earth. How about yeah. mushrooms? It comes right from the plant right there. It's free. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, well, what about this, you know, robot dog that cost $200,000 that created 50 jobs for all these people? Like yeah. we're moving out of that paradigm. And a lot of people do not like it. Like they've, they've bet the farm. Like they've gone to school for this. They've worked their whole life on it. But I'm sorry, that model sucks. It's way, it's horrible for way too many people. There's only this many winners and there's this many losers. And that is not a sustainable model. Ibogaine, um, mushrooms, LSD, all these plant medicines and all these entheogens and all these psychedelics are finding a home. And that home is called solving mental problems. And I think that that is the path mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, you're right. It is such an antiquated model. This idea it is. Of of enforcement and uh, incarceration and yeah. and yeah, controlling, you know, whether it's through legislation or, uh, or um, yeah, you know, confinements, intern camps, like there's, there's no, like in, in the, the population explosion that's, that's happening right now, like it's so startling how, how competitive things are and how, how little resources we're all kind of using and you know those robotic dogs like why can't we have like a robo counselor dog to like go out to the unsafe areas where you know homeless people and you know just have like a um you know, like a counselor on the other end and just talk to them you know why can't they deliver food or water or or um you know do something that's like more wholesome and beneficial and not just about you know in in in, in increasing police budgets and you know the the, uh, the prison industrial complex Ibogaine, so if I'm not mistaken, Ibogaine is indigenous to Africa, whereas ayahuasca is South America. I believe that's accurate, yeah. Yeah, and so Ibogaine has sort of been more of the go-to for addiction treatment, right? I, I, I don't know the numbers on that. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who have done ayahuasca, and I've talked to a handful of people who have done Ibogaine, and it seems to me that... Um, I hear more about ibogaine being a treatment for opiates than I do ayahuasca. I, I, I don't, 
I'm sure that there's people who have done ayahuasca and got off of, of opiates or drug use. You know, I'm sure that transformation has happened, but it does seem that the, the, if I was to underscore one that I would underscore ibogaine for cessation of addiction. Mm-hmm. What about Kratom? I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about it. I know that it's a giant leafy tree. I know there's different strains of it. There's a white strain and like a blue strain. And they have, they have different sorts of medicinal issues. One's more of a, I, I I've, I've done it a couple of times, but not enough to, to thoroughly understand the mechanisms of action. Have you ever tried it before? I have. Yeah. I mean, on the down low, of course it's legal. It's yeah. yeah it's, it's not a controlled substance here in Canada. So, you know, I can divulge it. I've tried it. Um, so it's actually an opioid alkaloid that's indigenous okay. to Asia. And it comes in three different sort of strains based okay. on like the leaf coloration or the vein coloration. There's a red vein and like okay. white. And, you know, the red vein, I think, has more opioid related um, effects. And then the white vein is, um, you know, a little bit more uh, like of an upper. Okay. And there's, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it does, it, it, it sounds like it's a little bit closer to coffee than, than mm. anything else. So it sounds like you know you have these uh, these opioid alkaloid. Uh, it doesn't like plunge right into that receptor like an opioid would, but I guess you might say it sort of tickles it so that you you know you might get a little buzz or at least a little bit of withdrawal relief so that you don't have to go like full methadone or full heroin or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, there, I know that there's um, there's some um, kratom cafes, whether or not you know in, in North America somewhere. I haven't really seen any here in. Uh, in Ontario. But um, another really exciting thing too, is, you know, we're having a whole bunch of um, like mushroom dispensaries pop up. Oh, nice. Yeah. They're growing like bad weeds here. (laughs) There's one like sort of nearby us here. I think it's just south of Collingwood. Um, It's called the two that I've heard of is fungi's and um, shroomies. And Mm. yeah, so I, you know, I see news reports that they open up and then they get raided, but I think that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be the next big phase in, in um, psychedelic ac- accessibility and, you know, whether they should be operated in a, in, on a franchise model or a clinical model is kind of up for debate. I mean, you know, psychedelics like the, you know, the psilocybins, the LSD, the, the ketamines, the MDMA, like that's some next level powerful stuff that I, I personally think should be reserved for, for uh, clinical medicinal use. I mean, what do you think? How do, how do you think the um, the infrastructure is going to be set up for people to be, be able to access these things? That's a great question, and I don't, I don't, I don't have a great answer, and I don't think anybody does right now. I think that there's definitely a place for the home practitioner, you know, and I I think that, but if someone has a really traumatic sort of background or they find themselves with thoughts of suicide or I, I think that the, you know there's a there's a clinic that needs to be had there because it's not just the it's just not, it's not just the medicine that needs to be served it's also a conversation that accompanies that it's that integration and I think that I think that what can be done is that the first level should be health and maybe maybe there needs to be a clinician for that but i and and here's the problem the problem is that the people that need it really can't afford it the people that want to use it 
that can't afford it are really just trying to optimize. You know, they have trauma. They, 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 maybe that's not a hundred percent true, but it seems to me the people that really, really need it, a large portion of those people can't afford it. So I think that what you're seeing happen at some of the ketamine clinics is sort of a sliding scale. If you, if you're, if you're doing well, you go in and you pay for a ketamine treatment and you can, you can pay, you know, you can pay this tier. And that's kind of subsidizing the people down here that can't get it. And ultimately, I would like to see optimization centers and healing centers. And I think an optimization center could offer a sort of, you know, uh, they could offer like neurofeedback in conjunction with layered 5-MeO-DMT mushrooms on like a four or five day progression scale. And then that sort of optimization treatment could subsidize maybe a, a veteran who is currently homeless. You know what I mean? And I, I think the people that can pay for optimization could subsidize the people that need it. And I think it would just be a short amount of time before that person that needed healing trauma became an optimization person. And yeah. like they can, you could kind of feed them around in this circle from like, you know, uh, you know, PTSD to healing to integration to optimization and then back up to teacher you know what i mean there could almost be a, a circular pattern there so I, I i hope it moves in that way i i, I don't have a real answer because i know there's need for both what do you think yeah well that that circle thing i mean i think that could also be an analogy for samsara which is like the wheel of suffering which i think like most of us are on yeah you know, i think that there are there's there are seasons in people's lives where you know things are really bad. And, you know, um, everybody loves an underdog. Everybody yeah. loves a comeback story. You know, the hero's journey is, is that cliche in so much of our, our literature that, you know, that there must be a way for, for people to have, have breakthroughs or, you know, have recovery that, that sticks and that can, um, avoid people from, from relapsing or, or, um, you know, finding, um, you know, some kind of inspiration or, you know, a change of scenery. Like there are so many different things that can complement psychedelic use, which, you know, again, if I might plug our, our business here that, yeah, you know, that I really do hope that there is a way for us to, you know, introduce that in a way that we have like a licensed therapist or counselor that can come kind of be the trip sitter and, you know, give people that, that individual um, uh, treatment that, you know, it could involve, could involve end of life care. It could involve like uh, like a virtual reality slideshow of their precious memories and, and photos of their families and you know life events that that help people break the cycle of addiction or 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 just unhappiness in general. But yeah, I do love the idea of an optimization center. I think that you know not everybody needs that that really you know, that, that deep recovery addiction, addiction resource, but yeah, just to be able to optimize it, just to be able to, I mean, you know, alcohol is so tired, you know, yeah. bars are, you know, not really that great. You know, there should be, um, there should be a better way for people to get their kicks without, you know, all of the, the awful side effects that come from, you know, all the legal things that are promoted and heavily used. Whereas, you know, the more wholesome, less addictive things are our are, are class a schedule ones and and suppressed and like it just you know it, it it just seems very obvious that 
you know that the, the 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 lobbying bodies and you know all the the, the corporations the alcohol big alcohol big tobacco like mm-hmm. they they've worked so hard to suppress it and and you know now that you know they're they're adapting too and they're they're changing their their product lines and their business models to include uh you know psychedelics and, and cannabis and you know heck i even saw that there was like a ca- uh, ketamine nasal spray now yeah so yeah there's all kinds of different ways to administer administrate these things administer these things and you know hopefully there, there will be a, a reliable solution that isn't going to you know mess people up and you know cause cause other problems like there's so many so many variations of mental health like you know schizophrenics are obviously at higher risks for using these sub substances but yeah as you guys uh, as you and nick murray pointed out in one of your podcasts that there's you know you made an, an analogy that you know we all grew up with bush parties and you know passing out and um alcohol poisoning and like yeah. oh good times not really though <laughs> you know but yeah if there could be more of a like a shamanistic ritualistic you know treating drug use with reverence as opposed to just getting a fix is you know if i think if there's you know two things that are going to save the world it's psychedelics and sushi but i digress yeah you know it's is our culture a mirror image of the drugs we use or are the drugs we use a mirror image of our culture in some ways i guess it doesn't matter but you know, if, if we just stop and think about the, the society we live in, the drugs we use in the society we live in are drugs that are a crutch. They are drugs that allow us to continue to just white knuckle it. Like, you know, every every corporate boardroom, every corporate office has a coffee machine. Like, yeah. what do you use coffee for? Coffee's got caffeine. And I, yeah. I like, I use caffeine all the time, but it's it's something that is somewhat of a stimulant and it's also a little bit you need that stimulant because the work you're doing is mind-numbing it's not an expansive creative endeavor that we live in same thing with alcohol alcohol is just the opposite of caffeine it's like this depressant that you Mm -hmm. you take to get numb and sometimes use to beat your kids you know what i mean it's it's a very destructive drug and and like you said it when kids begin their journey with alcohol the first thing they do is they take too much of it and they pass out well you know what happens when we shift the rails of drugs we use instead of going on this rail of caffeine and alcohol what if we switch up to like cannabis and psychedelics like what happens when we shift the tracks well it seems to me what happens is all of a sudden you have an explosion in creativity all of a sudden these tracks they fork off and they take us into a world of imagination. They take us into a world of healing trauma. They take us into a world of, hey, man, I feel like I'm waking up to this weird sort of numbing thing. Well, maybe that's the drugs we've been running on for the last hundred years. What happens when MS-13 turns from a, a bunch of thug addict, you know, mm-hmm. child trafficking knuckleheads into a world of mushroom cultivating artists? You know, in like I don't see why that can't happen. Why can't MS-13 become the cultivators of the psychedelic movement? All of a sudden, these, these, you know, noble tribesmen of South America start dealing in mushrooms a little bit instead of child trafficking. Like, why can't it? Why can't it be that? Like, if you look at the way that the narcos move things, like, what happened if you just made it legal? 
like, look, let's turn the narcos into the new sort of Pfizer, but only yeah. let them do psychedelics. Like, let's let's legitimize them. Hey, these guys are incredible businessmen. Let's legitimize them. Take out the child trafficking, move in the mushrooms. But I think that this track of psychedelics takes us into a new world that can be beautiful. And as is, 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 is beautiful it is for guys like me and you and the little guys, the little girls on the ground starting businesses, it's terrifying to the guys that own the train tracks of the old system. And I think that that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that Switching those tracks would just propel society into outer space with those booster rockets that you mentioned. Yeah, earlier. man. It's and beautiful. Those, yeah, those boardrooms. I mean, I don't have a lot of corporate experience, but, you know, I can only imagine that they are just riddled with, with Adderall and SSRIs and, you know, all the things that, and I mean, not to diss those things too. Sure. Like, I, I take an, 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 um, an SSRI and it's really helped me. You know, I was yeah. very reluctant, you know, when dealing with my own trauma to, to take antidepressants because I just thought it was going to change me. And, you know, it's made a big difference. And, and you know, it's uh, cannabis as a, as a supplemental medicine, you know, seems to be keeping me pretty stable and, and you know, um, motivated and, you know, keeping me from going into the, the, the dark holes that some of us, you know, uh, experience. But yeah, there should be, um, there should be uh, like a more curated and, and catered way of you know, like, can we talk about our friend Nick Murray and what he's doing with his biohacking? Because yeah, you know, let's do it. If, if, you know, if he has a way of doing these brain scans, because I guess, I mean, everybody has a different neurochemistry. And, you know, and if, if, you know, maybe, maybe these optimization centers can have biohacking, um, uh, like brain scanners so that you can see, yeah. okay, well, like, you know, this, um, this synapse is suffering. So, you know, maybe this, you know, um, psychedelic analog is specific will specifically help you as opposed to just some like random street drug or you know something that doesn't have any quality control behind it but, yeah so let's let's take biohacking even further because you're beginning to hear different sorts of retreats using this subject called layering and layering is like okay you can do 5 meot one day you do psilocybin the next day oh. and then you're going to do ayahuasca the third day wow what, yeah but that just scratching the surface ryan like and here's where i think there's a union between modern medicine and the psychedelic plants i think that you could start bringing in stuff like human growth hormones i think hgh yeah. should be part of every single regimen it should be stacked with every plant medicine i think hgh should be stacked with every plant medicine just my opinion i'm not a doctor i'm just a guy I'm a podcaster, but this has been my, this has been my use. Like when I use plant medicines, I always stack it with HGH, but there's other things too. There's different kinds of selective serotonin receptor agonists. You know, there's different kinds of herbs. Like if you look at, um, if you look at Prema Sagara that's coming out of Oregon right now with Moksha Journeys, they have something called the stack. Mm. You know, if we look at biohacking, Let's look at the way we measure things. Nick Murray's already come up with technologies like the kernel where they can measure your brain. But I'm starting to see new kinds of graphs where – are you familiar with 3D printing? A little, uh, bit? a little bit. Okay, so when you have a 3D printer, you, you plug into, your, you plug into your, uh, your laptop or your computer model, and out comes like this model. So it's, like a, it's almost like a bar graph, like an L graph. But then there's another part that comes off of there. So 
imagine a line coming down with two bars coming off of it. I think we could be using like that sort of 3D imaging to add another dimension to how we measure psychedelics. Like, you know, you have the, the X axis, the Y axis, and then like a Z axis that could tell you the depth of the, of the trip. Because one thing we're really unable to do when it comes to measuring a psychedelic trip is to tell the strength of the trip. We rely on the ideas of subjectivity. But I think we're beginning to find ways to do that. And I think that's where Nick comes in. I think that's where these ideas of brain imaging come in. Can we use another axis on a graph to measure another dimension of what's happening in there? But I think that's the next level for the ideas of biohacking because I think they're going to help us measure the performance. They're going to help a, And once you can measure something, then you can better manage it. But yeah, I think biohacking is a huge part of that. I think using different SARMs, using different hormones stacked on top of the plant medicines are, but these are all going to find their way into optimization. And once they, once they, once we begin studying optimization, then we'll better understand how to heal. In a, in a lot of ways, I think we're doing it backwards. Like, Hey, let's look at all the people that are broken and try to figure out how to fix them. Well, shouldn't we first have a model of something that's optimized so that we know what to aim for? Like, you know, if, if, if you don't have any direction, if you don't know what you're aiming at that, you can go anywhere. You know, if you don't have any direction, you can end up end up anywhere. Like you gotta have a model of perfection or something to shoot for before you know how to heal something. So yeah, I I, I do think people like Nick, I think that the the people like Moksha Journeys, I think that a lot of people in these retreats, I think writing, I think what you're doing, dreamers writing is a huge part of that. Like writing therapy, like how else can you fully make sense of your thoughts unless you put them down on paper? Yeah, you gotta do the work. You, you know, really have to. Yeah. It's one thing to just go on a trip and, you know, have fun for a few hours, have some shits and giggles. But, you know, if uh, that, that, that obviously, you know, regularly will be uh, detrimental to, to oneself. And I, um, what do you think of five HTP? I love it. I think people should take it. I, I, I think you should, if you're going to do MDMA, you should probably load it before and load it afterwards. That's what I've read. I don't know that, but yeah, I think it's good. What, what's your take on five HTP? Yeah, five hydrodroxy tryptophan. Back in my raver days, that would um, that would be the, uh, the the course. That would be the first course. You know, it would um, sort of hopefully sort of mitigate the the blue Monday after you know a weekend of partying. That you would um, you know you would take this gradually again layering. That's what we were doing. Right, you know, we were trying to use what what you know sort of basic emerging compounds uh, were available to you know get the most out of our our psychedelic experience without that huge painful depressing downfall the next week so um yeah i think that that could probably that should be integrated in at least an mdma therapy again not a doctor but you know my my two cents um yeah and of course diet and exercise i mean i was listening to joe rogan yesterday and i think he's talking to stephen wright about you know uh bottling runners high you know mm. what um how how like that's that's the that's the easiest drug that anybody can can i mean it's not a drug per se but the effects from it are real when you get into a good state of physical exercise you feel great and you know it takes work to get like it's obviously very um um you know it it it, it can be hard not everybody likes to exercise but it's uh something else that um you know that people can can do without without drugs 
and you know uh, oxytocin mm. there's this other oh and i wish i was prepared with the actual clinical term do you ever get that feeling when you're talking to someone not everybody gets it but maybe it's your heart chakra but it's just a it's a feeling it's a vibration and it's a a sense of calmness and peace and and connectedness and it it i think it i mean i've only really ever experienced on an individual basis when i'm talking to someone like you know sort of face to face but you only realize what that probably is is oxytocin which is the mm. pairing the pairing um uh hormone or or chemical whatever it is and that's what you know when when you when you listen to dr gaber mate i listened to his audio book called um uh hungry ghosts and you know so many like i would say probably most of the people that describe what a heroin experience is like is like a warm hug mm. and you know and and to me that it's it's um it's tragic that that's you know that people are so disconnected and isolated and lonely that that is you know where they're getting you know if that's the the comparison that they get out of this really awful horrible um drug then you know what can we do to to recreate that without all of the addictive side effects and even like this book like it's such a downer but it's it was such a good listen like he um the, the, even the title hungry ghosts you know and he's talking about his experience in counseling uh severe drug addicts in the uh um, main and hastings area of downtown vancouver which i heard uh referenced as stain and wastings at one point but not mm. no disrespect to our friends in vancouver um so hungry ghosts just kind of sounds like zombies you know that title is will always stick with me as a as a great description for you know these lost souls that are wandering around cities all over the world and just in such a um such a pitiful state and yeah so anyway the um the oxytocin thing i think i think if they can you know figure out a, a way to to make that um i don't know synthesize it or you know activated in us like that will that will help a lot of people heal yeah it's a great point you know i, I want to go back to this idea of blue mondays and mdma real fast i as a as a guy in my almost 50 like i spent a lot of time going to raves doing mdma and i always i always experienced like this downfall afterwards and it wasn't until early this year or late last year that I read this paper and I talked to a doctor from Berkeley and I was telling him and he goes, that's all bullshit, George. And I'm like, dude, it's, he goes, he goes, he goes, blue Monday is bullshit. And I'm like, listen, man, I've experienced him. I'm telling you it's real. And he, he, and here's what he told me. And I was totally against it. But after his conversation, I was like, mm, he might be right. And here's what he told me. He goes, so explain to me what happened when you took MDMA and why you had a blue Monday. And I go, well, you know, I would go to like a rave on Saturday and, you know, I would take some MDMA and then like on Monday or Tuesday, I just feel horrible. And he's like, no, no, no. I think you left out quite a bit, George. Did you drink a lot of water on that day? And I'm like, I drank some water. He's like, how much? I'm like, mm, I don't know. He's like, did you drink any alcohol? I'm like, oh yeah, I totally drink a lot. And he goes, okay. And what about the next day? Do you like smoke some weed the next day, have some drinks? And I'm like, oh yeah, I would have like a couple of drinks on Sunday to like kind of ease everything. He goes, yeah. so you think that it was the MDMA that gave you the blue yeah. Monday. You don't think yeah. it was the alcohol, the dehydration, the dancing, yeah. the weed. You don't think those things had any effect? 
Yeah. And he's like, what if I told you that in clinical settings, people that take MDMA don't have any Blue Monday? Yeah. And I was like, well, then I would believe you because yeah. I'm not a doctor. So yeah. I started thinking about the way that I used it and the setting that I used it in. And I was like, wow, yeah. you know, maybe this idea of a Blue Monday with MDMA is something that people that used it recreational always got because they were using it in conjunction with yeah. all these other things. So what do you think about when I tell you that? Yeah. That is, um, that again is very profound. <laughs> Reevaluating so many of my life decisions. <laughs> well, it didn't make sense. I never believed it until yeah. I sat down with that doctor and he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. And I was yeah. like, oh man, he's probably right. Like I use it in the wrong settings, but it's interesting to think about. But also, it's also compelling to think about all the work that was done on MDMA at those raves, even though you may have been using it recreational. I had some of the longest, deepest conversations with incredible friends about who I am, about how much I loved them, about how much I loved different things. And like in a weird sort of way, it was a therapy, right? Or yeah, therapy. absolutely. Absolutely. Like, you know, when my mom died, it was um, it was so hard. Like it was, uh, you know, I was 19 years old and I just um, I just kind of like adopted this Ray family and, you know. To quote Vanilla Ice, I had a weekend that lasted five years. <laughs> great um, quote. Yeah, it's a great quote. And, you know, I'm not, I don't stay in touch with, you know, most of these people, right. but like, and, you know, I pushed my luck and, you know, I, I overindulged far too much, but I still look back at, at those times at that, at those parties mm -hmm. as healing, you know, yeah. like as, as, uh, you know, just a way to, um, to cope. But now that you've explained it, yeah, like that that Blue Monday theory. Like you're right. It's it's not the MDMA, it's the um, the routine and yeah. the and the, the yeah. cycle and all yeah all the other substances that are usually associated with uh, like a weekend bender, right? Yeah, totally, totally. It's it's interesting. Like I I love being in a position where I can look back and laugh and also cry, but also be really thankful for the memories and the the hugs and the heartaches and all the things that have happened there. And I like, that's the feeling I want for people that have gone through trauma is to find a way to cope and come full circle with their trauma and look back on those days and be like, Oh, that was crazy. Or that was beautiful. Or that was really hard, but at least able to look back on those times with fond memories, even if they're challenging. I think that that is, is is in a weird way a way to define healing is to look back on your traumatic events with fond feelings yeah absolutely ryan i love talking to you my friend and I, i'm sure you'll be back i love this idea of the writer's retreat i love the i love what you guys have up there i've seen the pictures i've talked to you about the potentials for all the events that may be happening coming up there soon and mm -hmm. you know before i let you go maybe you can talk just a little bit more about what you got coming up in the future with them, where people can find you and what you're excited about. Yeah. Um, so I would refer your listeners to two URLs. Well, a few, but we'll just start off with uh, dreamerswriting.com. So that's like the main website page that's more focused on the publishing side of our business. And yeah, if you're a, a writer, an amateur writer, professional writer, like please consider submitting entering one of our contests and you know all the applicants all the entries do get reviewed and uh you know we're not overly critical if it's if it's well written and if it's written from the heart then we'll generally accept it 
Um, and as far as like coming to visit us, you know, um, like we do, we're sort of like officially designated as a writer's retreat, but, but we do offer general Airbnb accommodations. Uh, we're working on our own direct booking portal too, so that you'd be able to just book right through our website and then save some money in terms of the booking fees that these platforms charge. Um, yeah, um, right now in this beautiful spring weather we're having, we're just getting the, the site all prepared. We're, we're building a dock, so we'll actually have like a little waterside property. It's more of a marsh, but it's still still kind of nice, still kind of nice to be able to just chill at the end of the dock. So that's that's the main project that I'm excited about uh, this this summer. Uh, so hopefully, um, yeah, you know, like cash flow will improve and, you know, we'll be able to to keep expanding and, you know, maybe eventually buy another property. You know, maybe Dreamers can end up being a franchise model and we can, you know, start helping people build their own writing retreats or, or, or artistic retreats or, you know, whatever, whatever floats their boat. Um, also just wanted to uh, mention that uh, we all, we, we give some swag away to our guests too. Uh, I mean, I think we're pretty generous here. We, um, yeah, I mean, I can go over the whole orientation here, but I'm going to save it for when you come and visit. Nice. Very uh, nice. This is, uh, this is our VR swag. So we give this out to our guests. And uh, if you go to uh, writingfarm.ca, uh, you'll see a link to our guest welcome guide. And then there's a, a link where you can, I mean, you can check this all out at, uh, at cosmoeffect.com. So this is sort of my own personal portfolio website. You know, I love going to trade shows and, and festivals and, and retail stores and, and just talking to people, interviewing them, taking some pictures. But uh, the idea with this VR cardboard, and actually Google Cardboard was the first to market with this, this thing. And again, like it's not mind-blowing Oculus Rift HTC Vive level VR. Like, you know, the production value isn't there quite yet for me because I still have to upgrade my equipment but yeah so um if you do want uh, if any of your viewers listeners would like a complimentary copy of our vr uh, cardboard just you know have them reach out to me send me a message you know a subscription to my youtube channel to our youtube channel uh, djrc420 cosmo effect or writing farm will go a long way in terms of us being able to send you these yeah the idea is that you pull up any of the videos available at cosmoeffect.com um hit the uh the vr icon and uh that will enable stereoscopic mode and you can drop your your phone oh by the way here's here's my lovely wife yeah this is uh she's on the phone on my phone so how meta <laughs> so you uh yeah you put this into the the box here like this and then um then you just kind of like look around man and wow you're in the matrix um <laughs> Another cool thing too is we're working on, um, you know, you know, augmented reality. Okay. We're hoping that we can have like really cool interactive features here on the farm. Cat uh, and I, before the pandemic, we went to a um, uh, VR workshop where we learned a little bit of Unity, which is uh, like a, you know, VR software, and we made a Cheshire cat in a forest. And what we'd like to do with uh, augmented reality and specifically a similar product to this it's called magic leap but it's not vr it's ar so you just have glasses but there's like a film almost like google glass and yeah you'd be you know you'd walk into a store or you'd walk down the path to our secret garden and you'd be able to see all these different annotations pop up similar to like a youtube video focus on it and then um yeah then you'd be able to see details about like say 
Margaret Atwood, you know, <laughs> Margaret Atwood's um, VR avatar come up and she would tell you about the books that she's written and hopefully, um, you know, give dreamers a plug too, but we'll have to see what all this holographic engineering licensing is right. And, you know, what, what, what creative content, um, intellectual property we can get away with. <laughs> hey, so what do you think of Red Bull? May I ask? Yeah, I like Red Bull. I used to drink it all the time, but I haven't had one for a little while, but I love it. I love Red Bull's awesome. Everything in moderation. Yeah. I, my, my kids were actually, they're 11 years old and they had their first, um, like drug education class Ooh. in like the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, okay, it has begun. And so they're asking me about weed and cannabis and, and what's marijuana. And I said, well, marijuana is actually cannabis, but it's the, um, sort of, um, uh, culturally insensitive, insensitive description for it, but that's kind of semantics. But um, I guess, uh, and you know, the thing that, and I've, I've said this as long as I've been a parent, even before I was a parent, you know, what's, you know, how do I shelter my children from my colorful upbringing and mm. protect them from the things and the drug abuse that I, I, I endured. And um, you ever watch South Park? Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, about South, South Park is, you know, it's a raunchy show, but there's always, a good moral lesson in there and one one of the lessons was chef said to the kids there's a time and a place for everything children and it's called college <laughs> so i'm hoping that my kids will you know hold off until their brain is developed to the point where you know they're not gonna damage it um cool fun fact about red bull too um i used to uh get this great i i it's um it's uh, off-brand Red Bull, or should I say it's Thai Red Bull, hmm. um, and it's uh, it's got niacin, and there's also a neat, um, uh, it's got, yeah, with niacin, vitamin B, and it's, yeah, um, there's also something called quinine, mm. or, you know, I might be thinking of Brio. Anyway, you know what Brio Chinata is? No, I never heard of it. It's like Italian cola, and they bottle it with an anti-malaria ingredient called quinine. Because it's mm. a bottle over there, and I guess uh, malaria is a little bit more um, prominent there. But anyway, I'm just full of all kinds of fun facts, yeah, and dad jokes, and I'm I'm really trying to draw this out because I had such a fun time with you today, George. <laughs> Man, I love talking to you, Ryan. I, you have to come back. I yeah, I, I'm really excited to see some of the work you're doing. I think you know some of the things that you guys have planned up there are sort of first in use. You know, like this idea of bringing in a troupe of theater performers or this idea of rites of passage or just, just I, I just love the idea of writing. I'm a big writer myself. And I, I think that there's something magical that happens where once you get into this certain heightened state of awareness, it's almost like something writes through you. And I want, I wish everybody could experience that. And I think that, you know, with a name like dreamers, I think you guys are providing dreams for people. And it makes me thankful that I get to, participate a little bit in your dream and you and Kat are definitely participating in my dream. And I'm, I, it's a beautiful man. I love it. I'm, I'm stoked you guys are here and thank you for that. Yeah. My <laughs> pleasure. Like you have, like, this is such a big opportunity for me. You know, you've got like a great audience, you're growing and you know, I, uh, we made it, we made it. I, I hope, um, I hope next time we can talk about tattoos too, because yeah, we barely got into them. I I'm all sleeved up, man. I, I got yeah. Socrates, I've got uh, I've, I've got tons of tattoos that I think uh, help remind me of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And 
you know, I definitely get the stink eye sometimes depending on where I go. But, you know, I think there's something to be said about a tattoo that is meaningful and the way you get them and the relationship between you and the person giving you the tattoo. And I I think it's beautiful, man. I I really enjoy them and I, I love them. What's your take on them? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, meaning is important, but I will say that most of my tattoos scream, I make responsible decisions. <laughs> I love it, man. I you love it. For, yeah. Yeah. One of, um, so, you know, again, I don't, tattoos is, are so, uh, so permanent, but yeah. So my, my kid, you know, I've been talking about, I did get a, a tribute tattoo for my kids, but again, when they come of age, you know, when they're old enough, um, I think we're going to get, um, promise mm. tattooed here. So that will be our like pinky promise. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's a good yeah. one. I think that's got, that's got character. And I mean, for a first tattoo, that's, you know, have it like visible on the hands. Like, I guess I would like to push my kids more into the micro tattoo Mm. at least then like it's not you know they're not quite as committed to it it's probably easier to laser off but Mm. but yeah i don't know we'll see we'll see yeah yeah we'll we'll see i you know some people say the new tattoo is not getting a tattoo yeah oh for sure (laughs) i'm amazed at how mainstream they are now you know like it's uh yeah i don't know everybody you know everybody has a different different path and you know i certainly chose a life the the path less traveled it's made all the difference and you know days like today where i might be i might feel a little um a little bit uh i don't know down about my accomplishments and my professional Mm. accomplishments and you know what what i've done with my lives and the decisions that i've made you know i do feel like a little bit a little bit more reinforced talking to a professional podcaster like you who is in sync with me i think and has yeah. the same kind of values and ideals and you know makes me feel like not quite a not quite as much of a of an outcast or a dirty hippie so well look that's what that that's the people on the forefront I, and i think that this idea of feeling down about your accomplishments is not something that is special to you i think that that is a sickness that permeates society yeah. And the fact that you can get up every day. I mean, there's tons of people that can't. like that. And these are the people that you and I are trying to reach. Is like, look, I know what it feels like, man. I know what it feels like to lay up and not sleep. I know what it feels like to cry yourself to sleep. I know what it feels like to lose people in your life and yeah. to have a repetitive voice in your head that just won't shut up about how wrong things are. Like, I get all of it, man. Like, I, I, I know it. Yeah. I'm intimate with that. And like that it can be a superpower if you just learn how to use it the right way. It's like you were given this incredible tool and you're like, Oh, this thing sucks. No, it's, you're just not using it right. It's awesome. And it can work for you, but you have to train it. You have to understand what it's doing. And I think psychedelics can play a huge role in that. It's, it's all of us relearning who we are. It's all of us relearning what a relationship is and our relationship to each other and our relationship to life. And, you know, and I think writing and speaking and, Having the courage to embrace those things about yourself that you think are weird, that you may feel ashamed of in some ways, you know, this thing, this, this stigma against mental illness, like understanding that you can embrace those and use them in a way that is advantageous to your life and people around you, man, is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Like even thinking over this past Mother's Day weekend, like, 
you know, too often these, these mother's days, you know, come and go and, you know, I have a little pity party for myself and yeah, it's, um, you know, but you know, that's, you're, you're not my therapist, George, but it's, uh, again, just, just having a compassionate ear to talk to about, about really anything is, is so, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And this has just really reinvigorated me. So thank you so much, George. Yeah. You're crushing it, man. I can't wait to tell Kat I said hello Tell the kids I, I said hello. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to continuing to work together to make the retreat more of a dream for more people, man. So yeah. I'll reach out to you, man. I will, uh, uh, everyone should check out Ryan's links in the show notes. Check out Dreamers. Check out what they're doing with writing. Go to his site because then you'll be able to see the vision that we're talking about. And you'll be able to see some of the things they have coming up that nobody else is doing. This is like first in show, first in class. And you can be one of the first people to go up there and experience it. So I, I'm so happy to get to shine a spotlight on it because I think you guys are crushing it, man. Oh, thank you, True Life. Yeah. Yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for everything today. Reach out to Ryan. Reach out to me. I hope you had a good time. I know that we both did. Hang on one second, Ryan. Uh, I'm going to close this out here. So aloha, everybody. Thank you. Yeah. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way. I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment... Go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.